0: See, this is where I come from. And I think every coach should look at this as a criteria for any program that they use. Is it improving the performance of the athlete? This is the bottom line. So the strength training program, is it really making a better athlete? Now we can say yes for the young athlete, 16, 15, 16, 17 years old but not necessarily for the older athlete. In fact, many times, strength training for the older athlete or the adult could lead to negative gains. See, strength can be positive or it can be negative. And most athletes that I've seen that continue on a high intensity program are actually getting slower rather than faster. So they're overdoing the strength training.
1: That was Dr. Michael Yesis on the role of strength training and transfer to sport across the span of an athlete's career. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Simply Faster. Simply Faster is an online athletic performance technology shop distributing items such as the Freelap Timing System, Gym Aware, K-Box, 1080 Sprint, and the Speedmat. I've gotten many of these items from Simply Faster and can confidently say that they make today's best training technology available to everybody. The Freelap Timing System has revolutionized both my practices and my athlete assessments, allowing me to look at the 10 meter fly capability of dozens of athletes in a matter of seconds. It is wireless, compact, portable, and incredibly versatile. The KBOX and 1080 Sprint are fantastic tools for any coach looking to build speed, agility, and implement training scenarios that go beyond the traditional weight room. The 1080 Sprint is being used by great coaches training some of the fastest sprinters in the world, and it truly represents high-performance speed training. I can personally attest that Simply Faster's customer service is second to none. Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. Welcome to episode 142 of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Smith. Thanks for being here today. And today on the show, we have uh, the originator of the 1x20 system, Dr. Michael Yesis. We've had quite a few people on this show who have gotten incredible results uh, with the 1x20 system. Uh, If you're not familiar with it, I might as well explain it right away. Uh, It's very simply doing a strength training program that centers around a single set of 20 reps, Uh, and the utilization of uh, many exercises in a single training system. Uh, Athletes will continue on one set of 20 uh, until they tap out, and then they will go drop to one set of 14 and eventually one set of 8. And that usually happens across the span of a whole season. Uh, Athletes may not ever get to the 8s if they got enough strength on this single set of 20. Although it sounds incredibly simple, uh, the athletes, or the coaches, sorry, rather, who are using it, are getting incredible results, not only in strength, getting athletes strong really fast, but also in injury prevention and season, seeing a drastic reduction in uh, like non-contact um, uh, soft tissue injuries. So uh, really effective, a lot of interest in it, but not a whole lot of coaches that use it. Uh, so Dr. Yesis as well, he's written a few articles for Just Fly Sports, some really good ones on how skill transfer sets up your training, on horizontal force production and sprinting which was an awesome piece and uh dr yeses himself he is a teacher sports performance trainer biomechanist and author he is the guy um he was really credited with bringing a lot of the the secrets i guess well they were secrets at the time but the ideas of soviet sports science over to the united states he has been a huge influential figure in the construction of many training systems and ideology uh, if you heard uh, the episode with Dr. Donald Chu, uh, Dr. Yesis was an inspiration for bringing plyometrics over here to the United States. And and so uh, along with all those things, just being such a, a figure in sport, uh, he also is the creator of the 1x20 system, is a mentor to Joseph Johnson. Joseph Johnson, a mentor to um, many of the people implementing the 1x20 system, as well as Dr. Yesis being a mentor to them. And so uh, I wanted to, with the effectiveness of the system, but yet so many questions, I wanted to bring him on the show and get his take on where the system came from. How do we optimally progress it and why why is it better than doing 5-3-1? What is the drawbacks of maximal strength training versus uh, uh, doing like more moderate intensity strength training? And I think that's a good starting point. Uh, One of the things that I wanted to get into with Dr. Yesis was not just the implementation of the system, but also the principles and philosophy behind it. Because I think the more commonalities we can see in philosophy, the more we understand something, I think the more likely we are to be able to uh, use it and implement it in a way where we feel like we're. We're not, um, we're, we're understanding what we utilize. And that's what I really wanted to get into with Doc today. Uh, this workout though itself, or this this podcast itself became much more than that. Doc gets into the heart of what a good strength program is and its role in athletic performance. You may have heard in the teaser, and it's totally true. Uh, athletes who go you know through their 20s and just keep trying to push up their winner at max, that really doesn't lead you anywhere once the necessary strength is acquired. So how do we mitigate or how do we navigate a training season and an athlete's career in light of what's strong enough, in light of the one by 20 system, and in light of special strength training, uh, strength and things that we would do in the weight room that are specifically intended to uh, improve an athlete's skill. And I shouldn't even necessarily say the weight room. There's the, the weight room is an area where we can do that. Um, but Dr. Yesis is an expert in transfer. And if you saw the title of this episode, it is on high transfer, strength, and skill building, for sport performance. This is an excellent episode for keeping everything in context that we do, and it is really all about context. Strength is awesome. I, I being a, a strength training professional, uh, I fully appreciate strength, but I always am happy to talk and understand, I'm happy to talk with uh, uh, experts like Dr. Yesis about the context of strength, when it is appropriate to push it, when it is appropriate to lay off of it, and why and what to do in place. Uh, and so in this episode, Dr. Yesis is going to go in detail on uh, the advantages and disadvantages, uh, disadvantages particularly of max intensity strength training, how he came up with the 1x20 system, how to implement it throughout the year. And so whether you use the one by 20 or not, just general guidelines on how you would set up a yearly training cycle in context of what is important. Uh, he's going to talk about training cycle patterns for the one by 20 system, workout variation on it, plyometrics within the one by 20 system. He's going to go into a really cool bit in-season, uh, in-season um, ideas on training athletes and where strength can be a detractor or and how to set up an optimal path for athletes with technique in mind. So again, it's always an honor to have people like Dr. Yesus on the show. Uh, people have had such an impact on our industry. That said, let's get on to episode 142. Hey, Doc, welcome to my show. It's It's been a long time coming, but I am really glad to have you on. So thanks for being here. Uh, happy to be here yeah so uh one of the i mean we'll get right to it one of the the big things that i think um is always a question it's one of the most every time i run a a, a podcast with like with jeff moyer or uh the round table with with him and bracious and Thomi and like i uh i well, there's this tremendous interest in the one by 20 method and but yet i'm from what I tend to see, I, I, I don't tend to see it um, used or take on that much. I, I've used it a lot myself, uh, but I I want to go to the horse's mouth this episode. Uh, so for starters, though, could we kind of get into maybe not the one by 20 itself, but more just on your take on maximal strength training? Basically, uh, anything under like a 5RM or an 8RM rep max for training athletes versus stuff that's a little bit lighter. What's the advantages, disadvantages, and, um, everything that goes into that.
0: All right. The first question I always ask is how much strength do you need? If you take a look at the world-class performers, not one of them is the strongest man on a team. So how much strength do you really need? It's not maximal, and it's not minimal. It's in the middle, more or less like a moderate rate or a moderate amount. So when you think about that, you don't have to train for maximum strength all the time. Once you reach a certain point, then you should do something to, as I put it, even though it's not 100% correct, change that strength to explosive power and speed. See, everything, the ultimate goal of all training is to develop more speed, not strength. I've yet to see an athlete outside of the power sports. If you're a power lifter, yes, you need more strength. But outside of that, every single sport relies on speed and quickness. And strength is not going to give you that. So this is what I stay away from. All these high-intensity programs and there's been research showing that high intensity does not allow the body to adapt maximally neither does low the ideal adaptation in the body takes place with a moderate strength training program and that's where the 1 by 20 comes in which we can talk about in a minute
1: yeah, no, I'm I'm really excited to talk, get into that one, one by twenty. Its background, nuts and bolts, and and how that kind of came to be. I it it the more like coaches who have just been around it for a while and who are, think deeply uh, that I talk to, it all does go back to the same place. That eventually all roads lead to speed. Game game and context driven speed are really what leads to it, and and leads to that top performance. And so it's it's cool to hear you say that as well. I mean, I know that. Uh, And and it makes sense too that like strength training then should just it's almost like more about being you would say would you say it's more about being as efficient as you can than than anything else at that point really uh, in in getting there and and maintaining it.
0: I'm sorry, I missed the first part. Oh, yeah.
1: No, uh, basically, would you say that it's just more about being as efficient as you can? Since speed is the most important thing, it's more it's more about being efficient than anything in your strength training.
0: I. Well, it's more than efficiency. Efficiency is important for getting the most out of the strength training, but not necessarily in relation to the gains you're going to get in improving performance. See, this is where I come from. And I think every coach should look at this as a criteria for any program that they use. Is it improving the performance of the athlete? This is the bottom line. So the strength training program... Is it really making a better athlete? Now, we can say yes for the young athlete, 16, 15, 16, 17 years old, but not necessarily for the older athlete. In fact, many times, strength training for the older athlete or the adult could lead to negative gains. See, strength can be positive or it can be negative. And most athletes that I've seen that continue on a high-intensity program are actually getting slower rather than faster, so they're overdoing the strength training.
1: Yeah, I've I've heard the same thing, <laughs> and it's it's like a drug really. Like you know, you get a little bit of strength training, you get some early gains when you haven't lifted at all in your week, and you see some initial correspondence right away, and it's like the anchor effect that kicks in. It's like okay, early gains in strength, early gains in improvement, but that levels off quickly. And or not for some people, I guess quickly it levels off eventually. Uh, what for you? How do you know? To you, what is too strong? Like too strong? Where are at the point. It's like okay, let's we don't have to worry about this anymore. Like you, your your levels are good enough. Let's let's think about something else. And I guess it's totally d- dependent by sport too. But what are some basic guidelines to that?
0: Um, I use a periodization scheme uh, for most athletes. You need additional strength gain early in the season. Or I should say right after competition. This is where you get into strength training. And then when you move into the pre-competitive period, strength training ceases. Or, I'm sorry, it doesn't cease. It changes. It goes into specialized strength training. Now, I know there's a lot of confusion in this area. But the specialized strength training is the key to making a better performing athlete. But the specialized strength has criteria. See, we don't have to argue over, oh, there's no such thing as specificity or uh, specificity of strength. You have a lot of coaches saying that. Um, No, the criteria answer the question of what specialized strength is. First main criteria, it duplicates the neuromuscular pathway Seen in execution of the competitive skill. Second one, you develop strength in the same range of motion as seen in execution of the skill. Number three, you use the same type of muscular contraction as seen in execution of the competitive skill. So if your strength exercise has these three criteria and you fulfill them, you will be getting transferred. You will be getting a better athlete. But if your strength training is general, which most programs are, it has no effect on performance. You get stronger, but it's not going to make your performance better.
1: Yeah. I, I And I, we're on kind of the, the track to one by 20 now, but I'd love to, actually I'm making a note because I really like to circle back into the special strength and the the. Um, the more specific higher transfer, uh, I, I guess, ideas in in physical prep. Cause I mean, <laughs> I think that's always been the thing is, is how far can just squat and bench and cleans take you no matter how good and how technically correct you do it. Uh, how far is that really going to take you compared to how complex uh, the technical requirements of sport and how complex sport is and reactive it is. And so, but I, I'd like to circle back into strength training a little bit. So um in terms of um this is, has been interesting to me so the one by 1 by 20 system in particular and and from what i've understood of uh, like russian training from russia uh this is just me so maybe i'm i could be totally off i mean you're, you're the expert here this is just some areas i've seen but i it seems to me that i've seen a lot of like uh heavy strength training or illusion to heavy strength training and in, in um like, like for training of sprinters and jumpers and those types of things, and some correspondence that I've had with like high jumpers from uh Russia and that and so and but I believe it with the stiffening of the nervous system that comes from you know too much heavy weight lifting so how how did the one by twenty system well first uh qu- if you could quickly explain it and then talk about how it got born so from what what did you draw to um uh, bring the system uh, the system into existence basically so or what is it basically and uh, how did you how did, it, um, how did you come up with it?
0: Okay, It's something that I've used all my life. It's not something that just evolved over the last few years, even though the one by 20 has only been popularized uh, to a certain extent within the last few years. Uh, in the initial stages, and it's going back 30, 40 years, maybe 50. I said to myself, okay, now what is going to be the ideal beginning program? So I took a look at motor learning, took a look at uh, physiology, took a look at all the different disciplines. And one of the main principles was always start off easy. You have to learn how to do the exercise. So these two factors that told me right away we have to start off with something that is light and has some repetitions. How many repetitions? Well, depends on how much learning is involved. And also, uh, gaining your physical qualities. Well, we know that muscular endurance usually must precede muscular strength. The endurance factor gives you more circulatory abilities. And you need this for recovery and to a certain extent for development. So I said, okay, uh, this means we have to go with higher repetitions to tax the circulatory system. So when I took a look at all these different factors uh, in the early days, I said, okay, you start off with maybe three to five reps, reps first day. Second day, maybe go to Uh, seven or eight reps, 30 training day, you know, maybe 10 or 11 or 12. And then gradually you've built up to where you're doing over 15. Uh, And maybe you're getting close to 20. So as you're getting close, well, now we're going to get too many repetitions. So we have to increase resistance, which will drop us back down. And then they have to work back up again. So it becomes progressive. This is one of the main principles of strength training. And I always use it, you know, working to 15 to 20 and then adding more resistance. And someone, I think it was Joseph, uh, one day we were talking, and he said, well, you gotta give it a name. It's gotta be juicy. So let's call it the one by 20. I say, that sounds good. So we call it the one by 20. You know, (laughs) it's interesting. Uh, like initially, when you, you mentioned some <coughs> uh, five maximal repetitions, do you know what a five by five k Um
1: was, was it Bill Starr? I I, I, bad, I feel bad if I'm off my strength history, but something like that. See,
0: um, maybe it was Starr. Was he the uh, strength coach at Hawaii?
1: That sounds about, about right. Yeah, so. yeah, it sounds about right.
0: Okay, then it was him. You're right. And I asked him once, uh, we got together, we were going to do a book that were going to be three of us. I said, now, how in the world did you come up with five by five? He looked me straight in the eye. It sounded good. (laughs) There was no rationale for it. But so many people just swear by, oh, no, it's got to be five by five. So many of the strength training programs evolve not because of their efficiency, but because they were in vogue or somebody thought they were the greatest or uh, somebody with a name started using it and were, therefore just expanded. So <clears throat> hopefully the same thing can happen with the one by 20 because <clears throat> we have found that it actually develops more strength than any high-intensity program. And there's very good reason for this. It's not based on uh, hearsay or practical experience, even though this will back it up. The program is a moderate-intensity program. Moderate-intensity is the key to adaptation. So no matter what the physical quality, if you want to develop that physical quality, you need a moderate-intensity program for the best gains. now you can get stronger with high intensity you can get stronger with low intensity but the ideal for the greatest amount of strength 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 you need a moderate rate moderate intensity
1: you're listening to the just fly performance podcast brought to you by simply faster Hmm. do you think real quickly do you think that that um, it's something that's very specific to barbell training. Uh, just because, like, I mean, plyometrics and sprinting. You know, obviously, if you if you want to get fast, you have to train fast. Uh, I mean, I, I guess, uh, and I think about like like easy strength, um, like the book Easy Strength by Dan John and Pavel, and one of their big tenants being not like not going all out with heavy loads. If you're working with heavy loads, leaving reps in the bank and not getting emotionally psyched up for it, and thus making it more of a moderate effort to have more in the bank to train the next day. Um, I mean, I guess that's called, it's, that's, it's probably a similar area. Um, but, but with the speed thing, like, I mean, is it, again, is it, um, so I'll ask, is it specific to lifting or is that kind of, is it just the pattern of adaptation? Um, what is that specific to?
0: It's the amount and effectiveness of the adaptation. That's where the moderate uh, intensity comes from. This is the ideal intensity for the greatest amount of adaptation
1: uh do you feel like there's i mean there's always a bandwidth of athletes as well do you feel like there's any athletes that that system may work better or worse for depending on like like fiber type like someone who's predominantly fast switch someone who's a little bit more slow twitch someone who's moderate um any do you have any ideas there like gearing it a little bit towards those populations or is it something that that's um that's not necessarily a factor.
0: <clears throat> okay. Now, what you mentioned is important, but only on the highest levels. I never even think about it, those factors. And here again, the one by 20 I have found is the ideal program for developing a foundation. This is sort of interesting, Joel. <clears throat> when the one by 20 started getting a little bit more popular. We had more people using it. I always said to my, I always told them, look, this is what you need at the beginning. You have to establish a foundation, get a good base. It's like building a house. If you don't have a good foundation, you're never going to have a strong house. So you have to have that foundation. And most coaches would say, oh, no, we already got the foundation. We have ample strength and so on. Well, it sounds good, but they don't. And this was borne out by the college coaches. Some college coaches started using the program. And lo and behold, they have fantastic gains. Really impressed. And I said, now, how in the world can that be when these are supposedly, quote, elite athletes or better athletes? But they're not. And the key was in their foundation. Too many get by with only a few strong joints and muscles. And this is what happens with a high intensity program. You can't use many exercises. With the one by 20, you can use many exercises, over 20 exercises in one session. And by doing more and different exercises, you can develop all of the joints in all of their actions. And as you do this, you're developing a neuromuscular system. So that improves your coordination, which in turn allows you to execute the competitive skill more effectively.
1: Sure. Uh, Something with the the mini (laughs) exercises, because I think the many exercises thing is really interesting. I remember uh, listening to Jeff Moyer kind of go into how he was doing that with his athlete populations at Track Football Consortium a few years ago. And it was really amazing how... Especially getting into rotation because I think like transverse planes and rotational stuff is really missed or or not really looked at in a lot of cases or or there's just not time for it. You know, if you do five by five squat and bench and you know you just don't have much time for anything else in your in whatever you're doing on the day in many cases. And so I was intrigued by that. But so here's something that I'm kind of curious of because I've always just in my own implementation of the program I've. How I've kind of at least uh, looked at it is is a squat. If you're looking at doing a squat, which is a large range of motion, um, like 20 reps of that is, is pretty tough, but versus maybe like a, a smaller joint exercise or something with a little bit shorter range of motion. I mean, obviously, I mean, shoulder shrug is like the simplest, easiest way to say it, but I mean, the other stuff that might not be as long, long a range of motion. Is there anything? Is there any like accounting for that, or 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 looking at like like that in one exercise to another, uh, or is it is it the same all the way across the board?
0: I would say it's the same across the board. Okay. And the reason for this, let me go back to your squat for a moment. Uh, I don't have any of the athletes do deep squats. A half squat, a quarter to a half squat is max. Because where in sport do you find a greater range of motion? You do in weightlifting but we're not interested in developing a weightlifter we're developing a an athlete involved in team sports or individual sports
1: yeah i think that's an important distinction to make there because i I actually had a feeling you were going to say that um just again from from your uh what i've heard from you and a lot of the other like russian experts and those types of things uh and then even even um and the research points to it too. I mean, I, you know, it's good to, I think that you know, the mobility, you know, mobility of range of motion is good. Um, but the you know, it, it does seem like research is pointing to that having a more specific effect. And a set of twenty half squats is way way easier than a set of twenty deep squats. Sure. Um, oh man, it's not even close. It's brutal. Twenty deep squats is insane and. I almost, I mean, even when I was first doing the system, you know, I'd have people doing a set of 20 front squats and deep and it was brutal. I mean, compared to bench press, a bench press 20 is nothing like that's easy. guys look forward to that. They don't look forward to 20 deep, deep front squats. So, um, yeah, that, that does kind of fix up like the moment, the range of motion across the board, a lot of stuff. Uh, cool. Uh. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, it's it's really a, it, it is again. It's an interesting system, and so I I am curious. So you said you've always used it, and so what I mean, and this is just me. And always like I always like seeing where things come from. Uh, like I know that you, you obviously you've done a lot of or been around a lot of good coaches and a lot of good research. Uh, and what was like? I mean, what was the first step? Was uh, in you know the star? It's like five by five. It sounds good, cool. Like you know, it's kind of like that long, short, long. Or long, yeah, long, short, long syllable, and all that. It's like the harmonic, harmonious, and maybe if the one by twenty sounded cooler, maybe more people would do it. Um, but why? Uh, like, what was, what was the? Do you remember, like, recollect the, the original like pieces that were put together? That's like, okay, uh, was there like any earlier iterations of it? Like, like two sets of ten, or or a set of thirty, or I don't think it's set thirty, but like, was was there any like piecing together or any like or any like other coaches that you were taking any sort of ideas from that? We're doing something similar, uh, and yeah, so was, was there any, what was um, kind of some of the history of that besides the, I know you've been doing it a long time.
0: Yeah, I really didn't take from other coaches. Uh, I, had a, I had a tough enough time getting the coaches to do what I was recommending. And the more I used it, I got good results. See, whenever I use a higher intensity program, I didn't get the same results. See, because foremost in my mind, and I, I'm very, very strong on this, in the beginning, you must learn proper execution. The skill execution is critical. So I have many athletes now, uh, we correspond via email. And I tell them, okay, I want you doing these exercises. Then they have to send me a video of them doing the exercise. And I have yet to find an athlete who can do all the exercises correctly. See, now that initially surprised me. It doesn't anymore. So we're not looking at how an execution, how an exercise is executed. We're looking at the exercise and how much weight we can use. See, and I'm very much against that. Forget the amount of weight. It's how you're doing the exercise and doing it with good form. That's the key. Because you need that good form for proper neuromuscular development. Now you know, you hear many people talk about, maybe not many, but some, uh, talk about nervous system training. Well, this is the ideal nervous system training. You have to train the nervous system to duplicate that one movement in the most effective and efficient manner. And that's not easy. You have to very, pay very close attention to how the exercise is done. And when you think in terms of technique, that's another reason why you don't want maximal weights. When you use maximal weights, technique usually deteriorates.
1: Yeah. Oh, I couldn't I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, I I've been thinking a lot about compensation patterns and how lifting a particular way will give you a particular compensation pattern where one, one muscle is firing more so than it should be like um for me the biggest one over the years was I always was told, "Oh, you know, to be a good jumper, your squat should be this." You know, I'd look at these charts or something. Right. And 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 I would try so hard to hit those numbers that my my form was you know going off to get there and and um, it wasn't until I hurt my back. I remember I was kind of stuck at a certain like vertical jump and things and I hurt my back lifting because of poor technique and amongst other things. And I remember I had to go slow tempo for like four weeks, just like three seconds down, three seconds up, two seconds hold. Just I mean I didn't know I didn't know anything about one by twenty at the time. I just knew it's the only thing I could do while being safe. And lo and behold, I do that for a month, five weeks, and I'm I'm getting back into sprint and jump training along the way. And then I I do a standing vertical test after about five weeks and I said an all-time personal best. <laughs> and I was like, wait, I was lifting lightweights this whole time, but yet I just jumped the personal best. And in in, you know, thinking about all the reasons why that could be, now I'm like, well, when I was going so heavy, my my hips would rise Uh, early in the squat and then i do use a lot of back and it was like slowly teaching my back to become my glutes you know and and things like that and 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 i always i always see i can't tell you how many times i see people squatting like that and i just kind of like you know there's all these videos will be be posted and like someone's you know hips are rising and i'm just like almost like cringing like ah like (laughs) like this isn't like you know you lifted the weight but what did you just teach your neuromuscular system and and yeah i think all good, good coaches are always going back to that that pattern and i think that's i mean that's a, such an important key part you know I, i'm looking at like the philosophy i feel like that's such an important part of it and how much um of the one by 20 system so sets of 20 and then you know 14s and 8s and maybe we'll get into that a little bit here in a bit but like in terms of adaptation because people are probably saying okay well what like <laughs> what is the big adaptation you know we, we think about the weight when we're like fast twitch recruitment and, yeah I, I think that's it's an important thing i think dude, jumping's jumping is good for fast twitch recruitment but um like, what? what's the big pull from an adaptation? Is it, ne- is it mostly neuromuscular? Is what's going on physiologically that's that's helpful that makes this a great base phase? Uh, what are the, the big rock neuromuscular elements that, that we're looking for?
0: All right, there are many or several. Um, the neuro is there. It taxes the, tax is the neur- system, neuromuscular system. The circulatory system is taxed you get a greater increase in capillary beds and just capillaries in general, which increases or improves your circulatory abilities. And these are important, uh, not only for growth, but especially for recovery. Uh, Stronger ligaments and tendons. This is another outcome. And the reason it's stronger because you'll get stronger ligaments and tendons from a high-intensity program, but not as much. Ligaments and tendons lose their circulatory... uh, They rely on circulation. The more blood flow into these tissues, the greater will be their strength development. So the 1 by 20 gives them the greatest circulation. What else? You could do more different exercises. No other program allows this, but more different exercises allows you to cover more different things. You're not limited to only five or six exercises. You can do up to 20. So you can do many exercises that are specific, some that are general, some that are for injury prevention. You, you, can, you can do many multiple things within this program. It's not locked in to any one set of exercises. You select the exercises dependent upon the athlete. Sure. Uh, Less chance of injury. See, because of better coordination uh, and better overall development, ligaments, tendons, joints, less chance of injury. There are some, like you mentioned his name, Matt Tomey, when he was in uh, Michigan Tech, he had two seasons where they had zero non-contact injuries for a football team. Now, that's amazing. I never heard of a football team not having any non-contact injuries. So, I mean, I can go on, but I think you get the idea. The benefits are many. Sure. and it doesn't cost that much to get these benefits.
1: Yeah, it's a really, it's a really simple system. And sometimes I almost wonder why that, if that could also be a reason that it hasn't been um uptaken so much, because it's almost like sometimes if something almost seems too simple to be true, then if it was like more complex and there's more twists and turns, and then you get the 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 big and easy strength gains, <laughs> uh, then it'd be like whoa, you know, I, I think that there is something about the simplicity of it. And so it starts with the 20 reps and then it goes to 14 and then 8. At what point? In a
0: different, if I could interject for a minute, I
1: didn't
0: need to interrupt you. This comes after you complete one or two cycles of 8 to 12 weeks on the 20s. See, 20, as I brought up before, is a target point. It's not uh, like. Too many coaches, the biggest problem I see with many coaches is they stop at 20. i have to do 20 reps. No, that's not what you have to do. You have to use 20 reps as your guide. You're trying to achieve 20 reps. If you go to 21, 22, 23, you do it. You have to do as much as possible with good form. See, and then once you're hitting 22, 23, on a consistent consistent basis now you drop down to whatever that new resistance will allow and i usually say 15 but it could be 16 and 17 see and then you work up again to 20 so okay. and when you finish these one or two cycles like with beginners and many high school uh, athletes we never get to the 14s and 8s they're getting too much strength or they're getting too many gains from being on a one by 20. So you stay with the one by 20 as long as you're getting good gains. Once you see the gains slowing down and you're not getting the results you want, then you drop down into the 14s. All right. I'm sorry for that.
1: Oh, no, it important. <laughs> it. yeah, it's important. That's good. It's a good rep, Joe. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, okay. So, well, this is interesting to me. So, uh, in terms of eight to 12 week cycles, you mentioned, uh, I mean, is there like a, a deload times in there? I mean, no, it's not as neuromuscularly taxing, you know, it's not heavyweights. So uh, is there deload weeks in there? Are you are you switching exercises at all or cycling, you know, to, how how does the cycle pattern or the any deloads or anything like that? Uh,
0: typically, no deloads. Uh, but it's interesting, you, you mentioned that we use the one by 20 as a deload for higher level athletes see they're not on a one by 20 but when they need a deload week or two or three or four then they use the one by 20 Uh, but anyway (laughs) i didn't mean it
1: no no that's uh yeah like using the high reps as a deload kind of is what you're saying yeah yeah no i like that i have i've i've done similar things or like i'll do like that or i'll I'll sometimes use like weeks where you do 505 tempo like as a deload or something just because it's you're not pushing that hard or whatever it's still easy or moderate um but it could be difficult from a uh a little bit of muscle burn perspective but uh well interesting and it it, i think yeah because that's something i've really learned in the last two years is like it's almost like dogma for okay you're on a training cycle for four weeks or three weeks and then you deload well four-week cycle three weeks on one week deload and that's always it like you're gonna go monday wednesday friday Three weeks on, one week off for forever, basically, <laughs> and uh, learning that there's athletes that can definitely go longer has been a big thing for me in the last two years. Or I mean, even in some like maybe tra- high high performance track and field setup, some shorter if you're doing like a ton of plyos or something. Um, I've I've had good success with that, but in terms of just strength and moderate adaptations, I that's been something I've really been learning is that you can go longer. So. How many, in terms of the weekly workload too, like like, let's say you were going Monday, Wednesday, Friday, are you doing, how many different, different workouts fundamentally are usually in the program?
0: Uh, basically, it's the same. Okay. It's the one thing uh, that most coaches complain about. It gets boring with many athletes. Yeah. And it does. Now, we try and eliminate or cut down on the boredom by introducing other exercises. But the other exercises have to duplicate the same muscular involvement. And sometimes small changes are all that it takes. Maybe changing the depth of the squat. Uh, maybe on a biceps curl, you going to a full straightening of the arm as opposed to leaving a little bit of flexion at the end. Uh, yeah, and then a the specialized strength exercise. We always include a few specialized strength exercises. So these can be modified and changed. Okay. We can always go to another one. We can change. There, There's more than one exercise for any one joint. So this is how we vary and change them. But it takes an astute coach to really stay on top of it and recommend the changes when
1: needed. Uh, yeah, but without that, it gets up. You're listening to the just fly performance podcast brought to you by simply faster yeah, I agree uh, you mentioned the twenty twos and twenty threes so uh, from my understanding uh like like set of twenty it's it's a slow cooking process, like uh start with a light easy weight, and then you're you're working up like you're slow cooking you're not you're not day one just blasting it as hard as you can and trying to get you know twenty two like it and failing but but what should the effort level for each you said you said that it was like you know get as many as you can get 21 22 23 well two questions real quick one and and this is the three days a week like are you go? are you pushing to get as many as you can with good technique in that set and then two are you allowing for like like if you're squatting are you allowing a pause at the top like because i think we all know like a lot of us know like the breathing squats like whatever you could do for a set of 10, you can probably do for 15 or 20 if you get enough time to rest at the top uh, to prepare. Obviously, that's like an extreme example. But uh, is there like a, and, and I also say this too, from like a, the, the DB Hammer InnoSport book, which I, I'm uh, so many people ask me about that book. And it's it's a really intriguing one, but like it talks about a test, like a capacity test in its system where you do um, I, I'm going to get the number wrong cause I don't do this test, but like you'd pick a submaximal weight, like 60% adjusted with body parts of body weight. But, and then you do it, um, as fast as you can with no pausing or, or not as fast as you can, but just no pausing, steady, quick reps until you can't do it anymore. And that's like your capacity level or something. But, but sorry, that's kind of not here nor there. It just kind of reminded me of it. Um, but, but what are the rules? What are the rules for that?
0: All right. We have to differentiate at the beginning and when you're really into the program. So it usually takes two to three weeks before the athlete gets to the ideal weight or resistance that he should be using. Because remember, initially, he's only doing three to five, then maybe five to eight, then maybe 10 to 12, 12 to 15. So he's gradually increasing the number of reps as well as the number of exercises. It's tough doing 20 different exercises in one session. So you have to go gradually with all of these. So it may take you three to four weeks before you're really on the program now. Now you push as much as you can because you know exactly how much resistance you need and how many reps you're capable of doing. Uh, sure. So you don't need any other guidelines. The The guideline is trying to do more than what you did before. And every exercise is done with only a slight pause. You don't just stop and rest. It's like one, two, you know, once you complete a full rep, you're right into doing the next one. Okay. So there's no rest in between. If there was more rest, you wouldn't get the aerobic development. See, and maybe I didn't mention this earlier. That's another benefit of the 1 by 20. You improve your aerobic abilities. Not to a great extent, but enough initially, Mm -hmm. because this is your foundation. So once you have that foundation, now you can increase the intensity and really go all out. But you need that base. See, sure. The problem, and I tried this initially, too many coaches want their athletes to start off at the maximum on day one. I can't tell you how many bodybuilders <laughs> I've known that, you know, oh, I had a great workout today. I said, what do you mean a great workout? You can't move. <laughs> oh, I know. It hurts so much. You know, I, you know help me. They get up. You know, they can't do anything, but it was a great workout. They measured the workout by how sore they are. So figure it out. (laughs) But that's the last thing that I want the the people on this program to do. You're not out to get sore. Soreness is a sign of injury. So you want to injure yourself? Go ahead, but you're not gonna have me as your guide, uh, guide, as your uh, mentor.
1: Sure. Oh yeah, no, for sure. I yeah, I, I can definitely see, especially you get athletes who have that mentality, and day one or first a week, and there's definitely gonna be some damage done if that's the mentality too at all. Uh, different iterations of the program for different athletes. So so I think the main thing is like a lot of people listen to this podcast, track and field coaches, speed, sprinting, right? Like twenty reps and sprinting doesn't it doesn't seem to go together, right? Like I mean, are they different? And obviously, I know it goes fourteens and eights, and there's specialized exercises and different things. And maybe this could be a gateway to that, but uh like like let's just say soccer versus sprinting and track or something, or wrestling versus sprinting and track. Like what like is there a different mentality to something like that?
0: I don't know if it's mentality, but uh sometimes I think coaches want to do too much at one time. I'm a firm believer, and I've seen this backed up in practice. Every aspect of training or every cycle of training that you do is to develop you to a certain point that allows you to do the next level of work. So it's progressive. You finish working on A, now you're capable of doing B. Once you finish B, you are now capable of doing C and so on. But you can't mix and match. You can't be doing all of those in one session. See, like for strength, this is the base. After the strength, we move on, get into either plyometrics, some speed work, technique work. See, now this is here's something that's usually left out all the time. We don't see the technique work. Most track programs that I've seen, and I saw this with my daughter when she was on a track team in high school, You know, I tried talking to the coaches. Hey, let's work on their technique. They look at me like I'm nuts. And part of it is you can't blame them because the season is so short. They only have like two or three weeks before the first match. How in the world can you get a team ready to compete in two weeks? So anyway, make a long story short, um, you have to get yourself ready for whatever it might be. And you can't be doing plyometrics, for example, or even a hierarchy in any one session. Technique work and explosive work should be number one in any workout. You do either or. And after that, kind of specialized strength exercises. So you notice when we're starting off, your body has to be at a high energy level. The higher your energy level, now you're capable of doing explosive work, or you're working on technique. Technique, you got to be very sharp. You got to be thinking of what you're doing. You got to be able to visualize it, and you have to do it. This is why, in the one by twenty, we always include a few specialized strength exercises. Like, for example, for a runner, this could be the knee drive, pull back, uh, some standing leg extensions maybe uh, curls. So in other words, we're doing exercises that duplicate what they're going to be doing in a sport as well as strengthening the joint at the same time so we can kill two birds with one stone. Heel raises, very important to develop the calf. Well, that's also developing the extensive muscles of the ankle. So we're doing two things at one time. Uh, So the key, once again, I'll say it's in the exercises that you select and the exercises that you have them perform.
1: So one thing I wanted to ask too with it, like this idea that, okay, we're not... Uh, and I always thought of it as almost like an ends to middle in some senses. Like I know your plyometric progression, I, I believe it starts with a lot of like the ankle bouncing type work, like stuff that's building ankle stiffness. And what, how does the plyometric progression fit out fit into all this? Because I think about... I, I think about like, you know, you're really putting that juice in the system, like, like full, full recruitment and intensity that comes from jumps. So like, and I'm sure, you know, one by 20, if there is, you know, everything does eventually get recruited if it's a taxing set, but maybe just not all at one time necessarily. Uh-huh. But what, uh how does the, your jump work come alongside and complement the, the system? And do you think that the one by 20 system could be as effective without like corresponding plyometric work uh, within it?
0: Right. We don't mix the two. Plyometrics comes after the base is developed. Now, the only thing we might uh, include would be jump exercises. Now, here again, we have to clarify what we mean by jump exercises. When I first introduced Plyometrics in the United States uh, in the early 80s, there were many coaches that didn't really understand the concept. And they said, well, yeah, you do any kind of jump. It came to be that any kind of jump was plyometric. That's wrong. Plyometrics uses jumps, but all jumps are not plyometric. So by doing jump exercises, I call these lead-up or preliminary exercises prior to doing true plyometrics. These can be included with the one by 20, not much, but some, you only use it near the tail end of the program to prepare the athlete for playing metrics, which will follow. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's where I'm coming from.
1: Sure. Sure. No, that makes sense. I mean, how long, so what kind of phase, so is it like the one by 14 phase or the one by eight phase, like the true ply metrics would come into place? Like, and my thoughts, like, the jump exercises are, more like, low-intensity, almost circuit-type jumps, if you will, or, or ankle-based stuff. And then the the depth jumps are the – because I mean, when you hear plyometrics today, if someone says plyometrics on social media or YouTube, it's, like, you know, these jumping over, like, a little 8-inch hurdle or something. You know, like, obviously, it's not the true plyometrics like the Russians, uh, like the depth jumps and things. So I'm assuming that's what you mean when you're talking true plyos, like the depth jumps, like the high-intensity stuff. And I'm assuming that comes in, like, the – the one by eight, like once you've gone through the preliminary one by 20 and one by 14 and and I'm assuming the lower intensity stuff is more like the ankle pop type stuff, like the lower, lower intensity plyos. Would that be correct or am I off? I'm just trying to put it all together.
0: Uh, you're jumping the gun a little bit. Okay. <laughs> uh, we don't do all our plyometrics until we finish the cycle. <clears throat> um, when we get to the eights, the exercise, the strength exercise, is done explosively. And here again, it depends upon the athlete. See, when we get into the eights, well, first, let me back up with the 14s uh, Two sets of 14 is very taxing, and we have to cut out one or two exercises or more. But now we're developing greater strength, but it's more of an endurance type thing with the strength. So it's preparing the athlete to do even more high-intense work. When they get done with that phase, they go to the eights. Now, depending upon the sport, if they need explosive power, let's say like a sprinter, he would do a um, one set of eight for explosiveness, one set of eight for strength, one set of eight for endurance. And this would happen, depend, you know, in all of the exercises. When they get done with this phase, now they're ready for an all-out plyometric program. Because at this time, we're no longer doing strength exercises. See, the strength exercises drop off. Now we're getting into the plyometrics, and we're getting ready for the season. We don't do the exercises just because it's called for at the end of training. Everything is gauged on a pure, uh, periodization scheme. The 1 by 20 is mainly for a foundation, initial preparation, and then it ends. Now we do more high intensity and other types of programs. We don't continue the 1 by 20 throughout the year. It's only at the beginning. And maybe a half a year, when I say the beginning. But the speed, uh, explosive power, um, more the competitive event uh, repetitions, these become important afterwards. Okay. Like even in season, I'm going to sound like I've lost my mind here. We don't do any strength training in season. You know, most people say, no, no, you're nuts. You've got to have strength training. No, the only time we do strength training in season is when the athlete is losing strength. Then we go back on a maintenance program. Because what most people forget, in season, you don't want increases in strength and you don't want losses in strength. Why? Because it interferes with technique. The technique execution becomes critical in a competitive season, you have to maintain good form throughout. The strength training will mess you up.
1: That's a, that's an awesome point right there. By the way, I really like because yeah, it's like every time you gain—if you gained a certain amount of strength in season—you have to adapt. Your technique has to now adapt to having more strength in whatever movement you improve. Right, so it like you have an adjustment period in season. Right, right. That's good stuff. Uh, okay, quickly because we're we're running out of time, but. Uh, so special, so it sounds like uh, one by twenty for half the year, and then it, it get, runs into plyometrics. And uh, you talk about uh, integration of special strength. I'm sure we could do a whole episode on special strength, but if you could just t- this is somewhere that I'm really interested in is just like physical preparation for team sport play. You know, like it, it's and, and the development of of better team sport athletes. And and you know, general strength training is great, but it's limited in how much it can do. So could you talk just a little bit about maybe some examples of where that special strength uh, bridges the gap? Uh, And and I'm sure this, I mean, it's stuff for every sport, right? Is it like totally like like tennis, swing specific, throw specific? Um, It it just really comes down to every sport and every movement.
0: Um, Yes. And here again, we have to go back to that definition or the criteria that I mentioned earlier. Um, This is the key. See, after the foundational training and maybe the inclusion of one or two specialized strength exercises, we go more into many different uh, specialized strength exercises, mainly because, and I have to reiterate this, this is where you get an improvement in performance. General strength training does not improve performance. Just because you're stronger, doesn't mean you're going to be a better sprinter. Just because you're stronger doesn't mean you're going to be a higher jumper. Doesn't mean you're going to be a longer thrower. All of these are very specific. You have to do exercises that duplicate what occurs in execution of that skill. See, I came up, and I'll share this article with you. You might be interested in it. Skill execution. How you execute the skill sets up your training program. Because when you take a look and analyze how you execute a particular skill, you see weaknesses in it. You see strong points. Now, if you're going to analyze uh, the weaknesses, oh, it's because he's not doing this action. Or it's not, well, well, let's say the runner. Well, his knee drive is kind of slow. He's not driving that thigh forward. Therefore, one exercise that we need is an explosive knee drive. Then the uh, pullback back is poor. You know, the leg swings out, but it doesn't come back to land on the ground. All right? If that's the case, we have to work on uh, the paw back. That's another exercise that gets included. And it could be initially with strength and then it goes into the speed and explosiveness. Any one joint action, there are different ways of executing them The knee drive, most people think of a knee drive as being one thing. No, you do the knee drive for strength, you do the knee drive for a speed, you do the knee drive for explosive power. See, so integrate these three, and you're looking at weeks and months of training. So every action uh, can be improved. And it's improved with the use of specialized strength exercises.
1: Alright, uh, last, uh, actually I want to follow up, this will be our last question because I want to follow up on that. How do you do a knee drive? And you mentioned this back with, you talked about doing a set of eight for strength, speed and power, or a strength, power and endurance. Like with, with the knee drive for those three, how does how do those sets look differently for each, each outcome? Or, or if it's a set of eight, how does it look differently for each outcome?
0: Okay, uh, let's take the heel raise. Oh, we're talking about the knee driver. Right?
1: Well, either either one. Yeah, whatever, any, just pick any exercise. I think fine. heel raise could be a, a better illustration. Uh, the typical way of doing
0: the heel raise, you lower the heel and then rise up all the way. And this is done at a moderate rate of speed. That's for strength. Nothing explosive about it. Now, you can change it and say, okay, I want you to go down and up a little faster. So now they go down and up faster. Or they think of in terms of going down and then come up, down and coming up. So it's all one continuous action. Then when we get into the explosive phase, we start off, you, know, you lower the heel slowly. As you feel a strong stretch, you quickly switch and come up and then hold. So I have them hold at the top to emphasize the full contraction of the ankle. Or the ankle extension, so that's that's how each one changes. The execution changes
1: along with it. Gotcha. Uh, well, sounds good. I honestly, it, it's like I just opened up this can of worms with the special strength at the end. I know today was about one by twenty, so I I almost feel bad because there's so many things I could ask you, but I really you you made a lot of good points there that really got me thinking. Uh, a lot of great things to to just think about in terms of general principles and how that fits to my training worldview and so i really appreciate also appreciate you clarifying with the half squat deep squat because i think that could throw people for a loop so uh, glad for that and um thank you again for your your time on here doc i I really appreciate
0: it Uh, you're very welcome happy to do it
1: Thanks for listening to another show. It was great having you guys along for the ride. And uh, again, it's always good to put everything in context and just learn these principles that I do think span uh, just so many great coaches, that high velocity and technique being the end game and how to optimally use strength in your training toolbox to get athletes to the place they need to be. As always, uh, please uh, visit, support our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, suppliers of tools like the K-Box, GymAware, ElectroStim, uh, contact grids, and lots of great stuff. The Best in Class with Sports Tech. They also have a great blog. If you enjoyed the podcast, I uh, definitely would appreciate it if you left us a rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you're listening to. And just before I leave you guys, uh, just a reminder, my new book, Speed Strength, is out. It's on JustFlySports.com. And if you're international to the U.S., uh, it is on Amazon. So it's an awesome book. It was three years of work, a huge learning experience, and stuff that you're not going to find anywhere else. And it is an awesome piece on speed training. So uh, definitely check that out. But we'll see you guys next week with another great guest. Have a good one.